I was thinking this week, it's about 15 years ago, that uh, this last lecture kind of took over culture. You remember that? It was uh, Randy Pausch. Randy Pausch was a professor of computer science who received a terminal diagnosis of cancer and given at the most three to six months to live. He was a professor at Carnegie Mellon, and Carnegie Mellon had this tradition that every year they would ask a professor to give a proverbial last lecture. And the the proposition was like this. If this was the last word you'd ever share, if you were going to die and you had one final message, what would you say? A number of professors went before him imagining a situation that Randy already found himself in. And so when it was his time to give a last lecture, his intention was to give something that would inspire his children and encourage future generations. It was a lecture that became an internet sensation viewed by millions, and it became a best-selling book that was published in over 35 different languages. But as transformational as that lecture was, there's another last lecture I want to share with you. This last lecture was given far before the internet, but it's had far more impact. It's been read and remembered by generations and translated into over 2,846 languages. And it's found in the Bible, the book of Acts. When Paul had limited time to share his heart, he had one last opportunity to meet with the leaders and his friends of the church of Ephesus. And what we have in Acts chapter 20 is a last lecture the Apostle Paul gave his friends three important reminders. And I was reading through it this week. I think it's not only three important reminders that benefited them, but it would benefit us. If you have your Bibles, you can join me, Acts chapter 20. As you're turning there, I'll recap. I'll give you a brief update on where we are, a brief context. If you remember, we're in the third missionary journey And Paul has already been in Ephesus, and there was this big brouhaha. After the brouhaha ended, the apostle Paul continued up all the way through Macedonia in the top corner, all the way down to Greece in the bottom, and then there was a threat on his life, and so then Paul walked all the way back up and began all the way back because he wants to get to Jerusalem. And on his way back, he went by Ephesus, but the ship stopped in Miletus. The ship stopped in Miletus as a port, probably to get someone off, probably to get other people on and to pick up supplies for the next journey. And so while Paul was stationed in Miletus, he called his friends from Ephesus for one last message, one final encouragement, one last lecture. That's where we pick up the story, Acts chapter 20, verse 17 says this, from Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called to him the elders of the church. Hey, I'm 30 miles away. And for us, 30 miles isn't that big a deal. I drove in from San Clemente just this morning, 35 miles, not a big deal. But I had a car. I mean, Paul out of nowhere calls these 
people to join him and they walk 30 miles because the opportunity to have one last input, one last chance, one last opportunity with the Apostle Paul. And when they gathered, they surrounded him. That's when the last lecture began. Verse 18, and when they had come to him, he said to them, you yourselves know from the first day that I set foot in Asia, how I was with you the whole time, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials, which called upon me through the plots of the Jews. First point, first point Paul gave is a bold example. Says, you know how I lived my life as he called his friends together. Listen, you know how I lived. You know from the very first day how I behaved, how I was with you the entire time. My behavior didn't change. Verse 19, and here's the first attribute of it, serving the Lord. Serving the Lord. Bold example, first bold example of humble service. First attribute, Paul wanted them to recognize in his, in his life, in his example, was humble service. Listen, he says, serving the Lord, I termed serving. I was a slave, I was a servant. I answered to him, I was subject to his desires. I was controlled by him. Listen, I live my life as a servant of the Lord. And look how he described it, with all humility. First way he serves, man, if you want to serve like the Apostle Paul, you need to have humility. I love how one pastor describes it. Humility is how God sees you, not how your mama sees you. Our mamas, they see us with all of our opportunities, all of our gifts, all of our splendors, and they rarely see our struggles. Man, humility, you want to serve the Lord? See yourself as God does. With all of your cracks, all of your crevices, all of the things that God compensates for and forgave and has worked in the midst of, serve the Lord with all, with all humility, not thinking, oh, God's lucky to have me. Serve God recognizing your own brokenness. And look, what else? Serving the Lord with all humility and with tears. A term tears used to describe the effect of deep emotion, that there's such devotion and passion in serving that it brings out this physical effect. I was thinking this week, what's an example of serving God with tears? I came up with one. If you have your Bibles, put your thumb in Acts. Flip over to Luke chapter 7. It's two books to the left. Luke chapter 7. It's in the midst of Jesus' life on earth. Luke chapter 7. Jesus was eating at a Pharisee's house. Everyone was sitting there for a fancy dinner. That's where we pick up the story. Luke chapter 7, verse 37 says this. There is a woman in the city who is a sinner. Everyone knew her. And when she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster vial of perfume. Standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Kept wiping them with the hair of her head and kissing his feet and anointing them with the perfume. 
Man, you want an example of someone who served the Lord with humility and tears? It wasn't the Pharisee. It was that sinner recognizing who she was without him and pouring everything that she was at his feet. Apostle Paul gathers his friends together, the leaders of the church in Ephesus, and he says, listen, this is my example. You know how I lived with all humility, with humble service, with all humility, with tears, and look, and through trials. A term trials describes hardships, things in life and ministry that make you want to quit right then and there. Paul's like, look, you know how I serve Jesus. I was humble. Paul's like, yeah, I got emotional about it. I didn't quit. I endured. I persevered through the difficulty and through the challenges. I want you to know that isn't something that just God wanted Paul to do. The Bible tells us this is something, an attribute that we should all have. Look at what uh, what James says. The brother of Jesus says, consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. Why? Knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance and let endurance have its perfect result. So you may be perfect, complete, lacking in nothing. Verses later, he continues, he says, blessed is a man who perseveres under trial. For once he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. First thing Paul says, listen, you know my life. And the first characteristic of it was humble service to the Lord. No one would question Paul's commitment, who he served, who he lived for. But Paul continued, this is not just my example of service, but of teaching. Look at verse 20. Says how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you publicly and from house to house. Second attribute. Second attribute is bold teaching. You know my example. I was first, I served the Lord humbly. And I was bold in my teaching. I declared to you the truth. Declare, announce to a crowd, proclaim with confidence to report something that people need to hear. I proclaimed, I went to a large group and I shared all of this. But look, he not only declared, but he says, and teaching you publicly. A term teaching, it's didactic, it's give and take, it's question and answer. Man, you know my life. I was serving the Lord and I was committed to teaching, interacting, having conversation, helping you see Jesus the way I did. I want you to notice what he focused on teaching too, by the way. Look at verse 21. Solemnly testifying to both Jews and Greeks of repentance towards God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Now we know Paul taught about other things as well because we have them in scripture, but the two paramount things, the two foundational elements, the two things that Paul dug in deep, repentance and faith. Again, we defined this a few weeks ago, repentance, acknowledgement of wrongdoing and commitment to a life change. 
Repentance is more than just saying I'm sorry. Repentance is an acknowledgement of wrong and a commitment to make a change of direction. Man, when Paul was teaching, he was focused on repentance and faith. Faith, the terms it means more than just intellectual agreement, it refers to knowledge, but includes a conviction. Man, you have such belief in the truths of God that it dictates the steps that you take in life. Paul is so dedicated to the truths of God, repentance and faith. Look how he describes it. Look down at verse 25. He says, as a result, behold, I know that all of you among whom I went out preaching the kingdom will no longer see my face. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men. For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole purpose of God. Paul says, I know this is my last lecture. And I have nothing that's left unsaid. I have no regrets about what I've said to you. And I have no regrets of what I haven't. I love that. He says, I didn't shrink away. I didn't waste an opportunity. I didn't hold back. Every opportunity I had, I declared to you the truth of God, focused on repentance and faith. And again, we know Paul dabbled in politics, and we know Paul dabbled in morality, but Paul focused on repentance and faith. I was wondering this week, what's the main source and focus of my teaching? Not necessarily from the pulpit, not my preaching, not my sermons, just in life. I mean, Paul's ministry was more than just what he did in the synagogue. Paul's ministry is in the marketplace. Paul's ministry was house to house, working within the lives of others. What's the focus of my teaching as I live my life? What's the focus of yours? When you're lecturing your children, guiding them for the future, what's the foundational lessons of your life? When you're guiding your grandchildren, interacting with people and culture, what is the main source you use? The main truth you share? Paul says, listen, I know I know my time in Ephesus is wrapped up. I have zero regrets because of how I live my life. Humble service, bold teaching. And then last one, absolute submission. Look at verse 22. It says, and now behold, behold, surprise. Every time you see that word behold, you circle it. It's not something you're expecting to see. And now, behold, surprise, don't miss this. Bound by the Spirit, I'm on my way to Jerusalem. I don't know what, to, what will happen to me there, except, verse 20, third, uh, 23, that the Holy Spirit solemnly testifies to me in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions await me. Paul says, now I'm, I'm bound by the Spirit. The term bound, he's compelled by the Spirit. He's being directed by the Spirit. 
There's no avoiding what the Holy Spirit's telling him. He says, every time I stop in a city, the Holy Spirit reminds me in my heart there's going to be trouble in Jerusalem. Paul says, I'm going anyway. Man, Paul is so great at hearing the Holy Spirit and obeying his direction. You remember what happened in Acts chapter 16, a few chapters back? Beginning of his second missionary journey, he passed through Phrygian and Galatian region, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. Continuing after they came to Mysia, they were trying to go into Bithynia, and the Holy Spirit did not permit them. And passing by Mysia, they came down to Troas. Remember that time where Paul wanted to go left? Holy Spirit said, no. Paul wanted to go right? Holy Spirit said, no. And it's something that I've been encouraging you and working on myself is that listening to the Holy Spirit. If you're like me, we're not good at that. We're more likely to just tell the Holy Spirit where we're going and hope he follows. The Apostle Paul is different. When he given his last lecture, he called the Ephesian leaders, his friends together. First thing he says, follow my example. He says, please follow my example. My humble service, my bold teaching, my absolute submission. And I know where I'm going. And the Holy Spirit is not holding anything back from me. I know trouble awaits me, but I'm going anyway. Ever wonder how Paul did that? Ever wonder how maybe we should be able to do that more? Paul describes how he's able to do it. Look at Galatians chapter 2. He says this. He said, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. Man, Paul, how do you just live bound by the Spirit, listening to the direction of God and just submitting yourself and going boldly and confidently? Paul says, well, life's not mine anymore. My life's an instrument of God for him to use at his disposal knowing that when my life here is done, I get perfect communion with God. First thing Paul said, last lecture to his friends, gathered them all together, they walked 30 miles to him. He says, you know how I live my life? Follow my example. You know, I was writing this, I was thinking how oftentimes I say the opposite to my kids. How about you? I tell my boys, I want you to be better than me in every way. I want you to live your life like I'm teaching you to, not how I model it to. The Apostle Paul is different. Apostle Paul says, no, no, I want you to model your life after me. As leaders of his church, follow my example. Humble service recognizing God doesn't need you, you need God. Follow my example with bold teaching. Always be ready. Don't give, an op- don't give away an opportunity to help people understand who Jesus is. And have absolute submission. And when God calls you to move, 
Move. When God calls you to stay, stay. When God calls you to live in comfort, enjoy it. When God calls you to endure trial, do it. Your life is an instrument of God. First thing Paul says, knowing he's never going to see these guys again. Follow my example. Be committed to the Lord. Preach his word. And just be obedient to what he says. This lecture's not done. We've got to keep going. There's a lot more to this farewell address. We need to pick it up. Let's keep going. Let's look down at verse 28. After he says, follow my bold example, the next thing he does is give a clear warning. Look at verse 28. He says this. Now when everything's done, he says, be on guard. A term, be on guard. It's pay attention. Be on the lookout. Stay alert. A term is often used for a guy who stands on top of the wall, a watchman who, wa- who stands at the gate waiting for trouble. And as soon as trouble comes, he sounds the alarm. This person always has to be awake, always has to be alert, always has to be watching. Paul, in his last lecture to these people, he says, number one, follow my example. Number two, here's a warning. Be alert, be ready, keep your eyes open. And look what we're supposed to watch out for. He says this, be on guard, number one, for yourselves. Number two, for the flock of God. Man, what an important reminder for us. Be on guard, watch out for trouble. We're always watching out for trouble for culture, for sinners, for government, for children, for churches, for leaders. He says, be on guard for yourselves. Watch out for your failures. Watch out for your temptations. Be careful in your life. Man, it just takes one stupid decision, right? To wreck a family, undermine a ministry, discredit the gospel. All of us are just one dumb decision away. Paul says, be on guard, watch out. Not just be on guard for yourselves, but look what he says, and for all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his blood. Paul talks to the leaders. Listen, you need to protect these people. How come these people are so important? Look at what he says. He says, God purchased them with his own blood. God bled for them. God loves this church so much he bled for them. Paul's looking at the leaders. If Jesus bled for these people, what's your excuse to not? If Jesus bled for these people, and Paul gathers the leaders of the church his friends, he spent three years with these people. Be on guard, number one, for yourselves. Number two, for the flock of God. If they're so valuable that Jesus saw fit to bleed for them, well, now you have your example. What are you supposed to be on the lookout for? 
Be on guard, look what he says, verse 29. I know that after my departure, I know after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. I know as soon as I leave, once people know I'm gone, savage wolves will come in, that term. People who exist outside of the church, they're heavy-handed, fierce, cruel, unrelenting. People from out there will start preying on the sheep here. Paul says, leaders, number one, be on guard for yourselves. Number two, for the sheep of God, and you better protect them from out there. But then look at verse 30. It says, and from among your own selves, leaders of the church, From among your own selves, men will arise speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after them. Don't just protect people from outside, but from leaders on the inside. Look what he says. They're going to try and draw away. That term describes someone who seduces someone into sin. Lures them away with half-truths and empty promises. Someone who takes people off the path of righteousness and sets them on the path of opposition to God and destruction instead. Paul's farewell message, he calls the leaders of the church together. Number one, follow my example. And then second, he gave a clear warning. Be on guard, be on the alert for yourselves for the flock of God. Not just from people out there. From people in here, too. You know, there's another last lecture that I personally received from my grandfather. He knew he was going to die, and during that year, He tried to download everything from his pastoral head into my non-pastoral head. Our last meeting, my grandfather gave me a final truth for my life. I'd like to pass on to some of you. So I'm going to ask something bold. I don't do this very often, but if you're an elder of the church, a deacon of the church, if you're a small group leader, adult fellowship leader, men's, women's, Bible study leader, if you're a children's leader, if you're a youth leader, will you stand up? Someone's got to start it. There you go. Thank you, Sean. If you're an elder, a deacon, Bible study leader, small group leader, men's, women's, Bible study leader, adult fellowship leader, children's leader, youth leader, Please stand. I want to give you the exhortation the Apostle Peter gave leaders of his day and my grandfather gave me. Here's what he said. Therefore, I exhort the elders among you as your fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ and a partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God among you. Exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but do it voluntarily according to the will of God. Not for sordid gain, not for your money, not for your power, not for your prestige, but with eagerness. Don't lord it over those allotted to your charge. Don't do it in a heavy-handed manner, 
Don't do it in an authoritative way, but proving to be examples to the flock. I love how that verse ends. It says, then when Jesus comes, you'll receive the unfading crown of glory. Same crown everyone else gets, by the way. Paul's last words to his friends, shepherd the flock. Please stand, I wanna pray for you. Jesus, I pray for these men, I pray for these women. God, that you would equip them and encourage them and empower them with the, with the power, the confidence, the faith, the strength that you gave Paul. God, may you give them eyes to see your people here as you do. May they not see them with frustration or with a critical spirit, but see them as people that you love so much that you bled for them. God, may you equip them, may you equip us, may you empower us to shepherd, to care for, to protect your people. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Lest you think, wow, Brian, you finished really early. I'm not done. Because <laughs> Paul's not either. There's one last part to his final word. Paul gave a bold example, a clear warning. Then he finished him with a powerful commendation. Look at verse 32. It says, and now I commend you to God. A term commend, I give you, I hand you over, I release you. God gave me steward over you, stewardship over you for a time. I'm giving you back. I commend you to God to the word of his grace, look at this, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Paul says, and now I'm giving you back. I commend you to God. Number one, so you can receive a gift. Paul says, I've done all that I can. Here's the gift of God. He's the only one who can do it. He's the only one who can accomplish it. He says, I want to build you up. Firm you up. Give you good roots. Make sure you're straight. This is what God's going to do. And he's going to give you the inheritance among all the saints. The internal blessedness when Christ returns. The riches of God's communion and glory for all of eternity. Paul says, I'm giving you back to God. So that he can accomplish the only the thing that only he can do. To strengthen you and give you your inheritance as a child of God. I love that. In fact, this is one of the things that Paul prayed for for the church of Ephesus. Look what he wrote. It's my second favorite prayer in Ephesians. Paul says, I pray the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so you will know what is the hope of his calling, whether the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, what is the surpassing greatness of his power towards us who believe. Paul's like, I pray you get it. 
Paul's like, I'm leaving, but I'm giving you to the Lord. You're not by yourself. You're not all alone. God isn't working you. And I pray that your eyes will be open. You can understand the greatness of the inheritance that is destined for you as a child of God. Paul says, I'm giving you back to the Lord, number one, so he can give you the gift that only he can give you. Second, I commend you to God so that you can fulfill your role as his people. He continues, verse 33, he says, listen, I've coveted no one's silver or gold or clothes. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my own needs and to the men who were with me. And everything I showed you, here it is, everything I showed you that by working hard in this manner, you must help the weak and remember the words of Jesus as he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Paul says, you have a role here. He says, work hard. A term describes something that's laborious, involves toil, something that's easy to quit. Man, it's not easy to be a leader of God's people. It's not easy to be a Christian in our culture. Paul says, remember, I'm giving you the Lord, number one, so he can finish in you the only thing that he can finish, the only thing that, that he's the only one who can do it. And I'm giving you over to the Lord so you can do your role. What God has called you to do, work hard. We're not called to just sit in our comfortable spot and say, come Lord Jesus, quickly come, rescue me from this life. You are left here to be an instrument of his glory and his power. Work hard. Toil. Give effort. And remember, he says, Help the weak. Keep your eyes on those who are hurting. He says, these are the words of Jesus. It's more blessed to give than receive. I'm giving you over to the Lord so you can do your role. It's not to consume and hoard. It's to work hard and share. Last thing, it says, I give you to the Lord so he can finish in you, so he can use you in your role. And then he gave a farewell. Look at verse 36. When he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. They began to weep aloud and embrace Paul and repeatedly kissed him, grieving especially over the word which he had spoken that they would not see his face again. And they were accompanying him to a ship. These people love Paul. And it was hard to let him go. You know what I think? I think saying goodbye to loved ones is one of the most difficult and challenging aspects of a Christian life. Saying farewell. It requires faith. There would be no Zoom meetings, no emails, no texts, no FaceTime. When they kissed him goodbye at the ship dock, they were kissing him goodbye forever. They were away from his strength, 
his encouragement, his guidance. There'd be a hole left in their hearts and in their lives. Have you ever had to say goodbye to someone? They seem to just rip a hole in your heart. I think one of the most challenging steps of faith a Christian will ever have to take is saying farewell. I was at a conference years ago where a famous pastor was talking about how he just had to bury the first person in his life that he loved dearly, his mom. First time he'd lost someone dear to his heart. And it rocked his faith. It shocked him. It surprised him. It was the first time you put someone in the ground. If you ever question the reality of heaven, it will consume you at that point on. Saying goodbye. One of the most challenging and difficult steps of faith a Christian will have to take. But that's why the Apostle Paul gave us these words in Thessalonians. Look what he says. Brethren, we do not want you to be uninformed, brethren, about those who are asleep. So you will not grieve as do the rest who have no hope. I know you're going to grieve. You're just going to grieve differently. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again... Even so, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. You know, my grandmother grew up um, a child of a missionary, always having to say goodbye to her parents for long periods of time. My great-grandmother was the, one of the first female medical doctors licensed in the U.S. and then went to Central Africa and took my grandmother with her my great-grandmother, when she had to part with her daughter for months at a time, would always leave her this way. I'll see you here, there, or in the air. When my grandma was a missionary and my mom had to leave, how they had to be separated for months at a time, my grandmother would always part. I'll see you here, there, or in the air. When my grandmother watched my grandfather die, the words that they shared every night, I'll see you here, there, or in the air. A couple weeks ago, I was praying with a member of our church, dear friend, who outside of a miraculous work of God is going to be saying farewell. I didn't know what to say. So I quoted my great-grandmother. I'll see you here, there, or in the air. I think one of the best things Paul gave in this last lecture was a farewell. 
and a promise. Even though we part, it's not forever. That we all are part of the kingdom of God. Just waiting for inheritance. Paul's last words, man, he had one moment. He called all the leaders together, all the people, all of his friends. Give them one last lecture. Paul says, follow my example. Be faithful, work hard, be humble. Number two, and be on guard for yourselves and for one another. And thirdly, give a commendation, be ready for the work of God. Because even though we separate for a time, God is still in control. Which of these encouragements that Paul gave his friends so many years ago can you apply to your life this week? That's my prayer. Let's pray. Jesus, as a church again, God, we're here. Some of us are in positions of comfort. Got everything in our life is going great. And so we're here with a celebrative heart before you. So God, for those people who will come here in a position of comfort, opportunity, God, I pray you'll inspire them, empower them, embolden them to use their position to serve others, strengthen your church, protect the flock, and humbly and proudly serve you. God, for people here who hear the encouragement of Paul or in the time of loss, worry, struggle, or weakness, God, I give them to you as Paul gave his friends. God, that you will do a work in their lives. You will build them up set them on a path of righteousness for your namesake. God, as they confess their brokenness and failures to you, God, may you ref- God, may you hear them, forgive them, and give them a peace that's beyond human comprehension as they move forward. God, as some people go into this holiday season, the first time without a loved one, someone they've had to say farewell to. God, may you give them faith. Faith in your goodness, your faithfulness, and your mercy. Faith in your promise that you will not lose one of your people, that you will gather us all together for a time of blissful communion in your presence for all eternity. God, finally, on this third Sunday of Advent, God, may you give us peace. Peace together. Peace with you.
that we might continue to see you do amazing things in our midst and through our lives together. I pray everything in Jesus' name. Amen.